Welcome to Five Books for Catholics, where an expert selects and explains five outstanding books on some aspect of Catholic life, doctrine, or culture. Occasionally, we recommend not five books, but five records. At Christmas, we recommended some classical music for the season. Moreover, we did not recommend a hodgepodge of works from different periods. We stuck instead to 20th century classical composers. As a follow-up, here is a selection of five works of classical music for Lent by 20th century composers. Recommending some 20th century classical music for Lent might seem easier said than done. Nowadays, we do not associate Lent with music in the same way as we do Christmas. However, this is not how things have always stood. In an interview with the Catholic Herald, the conductor Harry Christophers, renowned for his performances of sacred music, noted that the Lenten and Easter repertoire used to outstrip that of Christmas. Christophers said, Frankly, I think some of the best music we have is written for Lent and Passion Tide, from Renaissance composers particularly. I suppose in those days, the accent in it was much more important than Christmas. End of the quotation. Fortunately, composers born or active in the 20th century have produced a substantial body of sacred music that's been written either for Lent or is suitable for Lent. But why focus just on these composers rather than the even richer Renaissance and Baroque repertoire? There are two motives. First, focusing on works written since 1900 sets an additional criterion for selecting the entry entries. Otherwise, the list would end up being a loosely connected assortment of Lenten pieces. Nevertheless, that does not explain why it is worth focusing on 20th century composers rather than those of the Renaissance or Baroque. That is where the second pedagogical motive comes in. Those who dislike modern classical music might wonder whether listening to some is being recommended as a valuable penitential practice for Lent. Granted, there is plenty of awful modern music that would serve that purpose well. However, anyone wanting tips for putting together the penitential playlist will need to do their own research. The works recommended here are by outstanding composers. They are seasonal. They are also accessible. They may be a good entry point for those who are unfamiliar with modern classical music. Listening to them can be pedagogical. It is a way of dipping your toes into the waters without getting them scalded or frostbit. The five recommended works are the following. First, Quatre Motets pour un temps de pénitence, Four Motets for a Time of Penance by François Poulain. Second, The Miserere by Henrik Koreczki. Third, Triodion by Arvo Pert. Fourth, The Miserere and the Motet Videns Dominum by James Macmillan. And fifth, The Symphony of Psalms by Igor Stravinsky. First, the Quatre Motet, Pontant de Pénitence de François Poulenc. Poulenc lived from 1899 to 1963. His Quatre Motet pour le Temps de Noël written in 1952, figured in the survey of 20th century classical music for Christmas. 
It was a companion piece for his earlier Quatre-Motet pour le Temps de Pénitence, written between 1938 and 1939. These two were written for unaccompanied choir. As the work suggests, it is written for Lent and Holy Week. These motets are one of the first works of sacred music that Poulenc wrote after a turning point in his career. The first were his litanies to the Black Virgin, written in 1936, shortly after he had taken up his Catholic faith again. In 1936, Poulenc was moved by the death of a young composer, Pierre-Octave Feroux. He had died in a car accident. Poulenc retreated to Wakamadur, a site of Marian pilgrimage that his father held dear. During his visit to the sanctuary of the Black Virgin, the simple faith of the pilgrims helped him recover his own faith which he had left aside amid the Anéfol. Poulenc's sojourn at Rokamadur inspired his litanies to the Black Virgin. This work is a turning point in his output. Thereafter, he began to produce a substantial body of sacred music, or, in the case of his acclaimed operatic setting of Georges Bernardot's Dialogue des Carmelites, works about the faith. The themes of his non-sacred music also became more substantial. The idea for the Quatmotet pour le Temps de Pénitence came to him when listening to two cantatas by Darius Milo. However, this was not the only inspiration for the work. Andrea Mantegna was another. Poulenc stated that he wanted to make the motets just as realistic and tragic as Mantegna's painting. Tomas Luis de Victoria was another inspiration. Poulenc admired the Renaissance composer of sacred polyphony greatly and claimed that he thought unceasingly of him while working on the motets. It is not immediately apparent why Poulenc would have thought of Victoria. Poulenc's motets favour homophony over the polyphony characteristic of Victoria. There are nevertheless several strong connections between these motets and Victoria. Just as Victoria is best known for his tenebre responsories, three of Poulenc's quatre motets pour le temps de pénitence are Holy Week responsories. Vinia mea electa, tenebre facte sunt, and third, tristis es anima mea. Victoria incorporated dissonance more freely into his works than some of his contemporaries. Similarly, Poulenc springs surprising dissonances on the listener of his mind. Victoria's stiff, direct style is also mirrored in the austerity of Poulenc's mood. One excellent recording of the work is that of Polyphony, directed by Stephen Layton. It also includes Poulenc's Quatmotet pour le Temple de Noël, his Gloria, and his Exultati de. Second, we have the Miserere by Henryk Koreczki. Chopin is Poland's best-known composer, maybe even its greatest. However, the country produced a richer crop of composers during the 20th century. Szymanowski, Baczewicz, Panufnik, Lutuslawski, and Penderecki. One such composer to have written a work that fits right into Lent is Henryk Koreczki, who lived from 1933 to 2010. Gretschke's Miserere is his Opus 44. It was written in 1981 and dedicated to the town of Bigosk. On 19th of March 1981, members of Solidarność attended a meeting with the local authorities of Bigosk to resolve an ongoing local strike. The representatives of Solidarność 
were pressing for the formation of an independent farmers' union. When the local authorities refused to discuss the formation of the new union, the Solidarność representatives refused to leave the proceedings. The citizens' militia and its reserve branch, Zomo, were called in to resolve the situation. They arrested and beat the Solidarność representatives brutally. The move backfired. By the end of the month, the communist regime had to capitulate before a national strike organised by Solidarność. They had to allow the movement to report independently on the Bigosk events on public television and resume the talks over the registration of an independent farmers' union. Goreshki's decision to dedicate his merzereri to Bigosk meant that the state did not allow an immediate performance of the work, nor did it allow for a public announcement of the work's eventual premiere in 1987. Fortunately, no state-sponsored publicity was needed. The work was premiered to a packed house. Despite its title, the work is not a setting of Psalm 50, the Miserere, but of the liturgical invocation, O Lord our God, have mercy on us. Domine Deus Noster, Miserere no. Slowly, the work builds up to a climax. The choir is divided into eight parts, one entering after another, from the lowest to the higher. Each sings a different melody, centred on the next third of the arpeggio. The basses begin in A, and the work ends on an A minor chord. Moreover, the last two words of the prayer, Misere nobis, have mercy on us, are first uttered in the last of the work's 11 section. The Chicago Lyric Opera Chorus's performance under the direction of John Nelson is a first-rate report. Indeed, the work is written for a large chorus. Goreshki indicated a minimum of 120 singers, probably so that the singing would sound like that of a church's congregation. The third work is Triodion by Arvo Per. According to the conductor Peter Phillips, founder of the Talis Scholars Choir, no music being written today makes a more satisfying match for Renaissance polyphony than the sacred compositions of Arvo Pert. Phillips has been adding regularly pieces of Pertz to Stalis Scholar's program. He said that he is even more convinced that his music was providing an important new perspective to the works of the older masters. End of the quotation. This may be partly in account of Pertz's affinity with those older masters. During the late 60s and early 70s, Pertz studied European music from the 14th to 16th century, including Gregorian chant. He studied composers such as Ochegen, Obrecht, Josquin, and Palestrina. Not only did he abandon atonality in favour of tonality, he also absorbed and incorporated some stylistic elements of medieval and Renaissance music. In his early compositions, Pertz employed serialism and other modernist compositional techniques. Equally significant to his musical development was his conversion from Lutheranism to Orthodoxy in 1972. He'd already written sacred music prior to his conversion, such as his Credo from 1968. Nevertheless, his Orthodox faith has clearly influenced not only the genre and themes of his compositions, 
but also his sacramental conception of music. Holy minimalism is the label that is often used to categorise his music. It is minimalist in that the works of his mature period opt for tonality and the greatest simplicity possible instead of modernist atonality and hermetic complexity. It is holy minimalism on account of its religious orientation. Many find it oversimplistic and misleading to class Pert's music as holy minimalism. However, like most simplifications, it is useful as a rough preliminary description. Lansing College, a public, that is a private school in West Sussex, commissioned the Estonian composer Eva Pert to write a piece for the 1998 celebration of its 150th anniversary. Benjamin Britten had written his cantata, St Nicholas, for the school's 100th anniversary. He had thereby commemorated one of the school chapel's two patron saints. The other is Mary. Pet decided to compose a work in her honour and set about looking for a suitable text. He settled upon a group of three prayers in the form of odes, taken from the Triodion, the Eastern Orthodox liturgical book for Great Lent. The first is a prayer to Christ, the second to Mary, the third to St Nicholas. Subsequently, he found a 16th century Russian icon that depicted the three together and confirmed the appropriateness of his choice. In Triodion, the unaccompanied choir is divided into nine parts. The singing is largely homophonic, with the bassist singing a drum note. In the hymns, we turn to Christ to entreat forgiveness for our sins. We invoke our Lord as penitents, and St Nicholas as a teacher of absence. The music reaches a climax in the third ode with the supplication that our souls may be saved. If you're looking for a recording of the work, try out that of Polyphony under Stephen Layton or that of the Talus Scholars under Peter Phillips. The fourth work is by the Scottish composer James Macmillan, who was born in 1959. Macmillan first came to the attention of critics and audiences for his instrumental music, most notably the Confession of Isabel Gaudi from 1990. Increasingly, he has written sacred music, much of it for unaccompanied choir. Like major composers of the past, such as Bach and Mozart, Macmillan has also ample experience as an on-the-ground church musician. From 2005 to 2015, he was choir master at St Columba's in Maryhill, Glasgow. During that time, he also composed music for the masses that Benedict XVI celebrated in Glasgow's Bella Houston Park and in Birmingham for the beatification of John Henry Newman. A record by the Sixteen, under the founder and director Harry Christophers, contains two of Macmillan's works that are made for Lent. First, there is his Miserere, composed in 2009. It is a setting of the fourth of the seven penitential psalms, Psalm 50 or 51, and it was composed for the sixteen. In turns plaintive, haunting and moving, it exhibits various characteristics of Macmillan's style. There are motifs, rhythms and intervals from traditional Scottish music. There is a juxtaposition of various styles. Besides the elements taken from the Scottish tradition, the Miserere contains sections that evoke Anglican chant 
and Gregorian chant. Unlike Goreshki's Miserere, which ends on an uncertain A minor, Macmillan's Miserere opens in sorrow, in E minor, but ends on a note of hope and God's mercy, in E major. Another work of Macmillan's that is suitable for Lent is his Videns Dominus. This is a communion motet written for the fifth Sunday of Lent. The text is from the Gospel of John, chapter 11. The motet is one of Macmillan's Strathclyde motets, composed between 2000 and 2010, and so called because they were commissioned for the chaplaincy of Strathclyde University. Macmillan has described them as a collection of sacred motets, many of them for use of communion, designed for a good amateur church or cathedral choir or amateur secular choir. Twelve of the fourteen motets, including Videns Dominus, are for unaccompanied choir. Finally, the fifth work, the Symphony of Psalms by Igor Stravinsky. This work was commissioned for the Boston Symphony Orchestra's 50th anniversary in 1930. It does not have an explicitly Lenten theme, nor is it sacred music in the strict sense of the term. Even though each of its three movements is a musical setting of verses from Psalms 38, 39 and 150 respectively. It was written for the concert hall, not for a cathedral or a church. Nevertheless, an argument can be made that the work makes for apt listening during Lent. The first movement is a setting of verses from the third of the penitential psalms. In addition to the Symphony of Psalms, one of Stravinsky's theatrical work, The Soldier's Tale, can make for Lenten listening. This work is based on a Russian folk story and tells the cautionary tale of a Russian soldier who makes a deal with the devil. There is an excellent recording conducted by Stravinsky and narrated by Jeremy Iron. Stravinsky is the musical counterpart of Picasso. He is one of the greatest and most influential 20th century composers. But like Picasso, he was always rethinking the existing tradition and reinventing himself. The Symphony of Psalms is a case in point. Some believe that Stravinsky may have opportunistically labelled his setting of Psalms a symphony so as to meet Serge Krusevitsky's commission for the Boston Symphony Orchestra. However, the work really is a novel rethinking of the symphonic tradition. Nearly 50 when he wrote it, Stravinsky had long resisted pressure to write a symphony. The Symphony of Psalms is his first and arguably the most novel of his three contributions to the genre. The other two are his Symphony in C, 1940, and the Symphony in Three Movements, from 1940. Significantly, Stravinsky did not number them as successive entries in a series. He thereby indicates that each one is a novel, self-standing rethinking of them. In a way, the Symphony of Psalms rethinks the line of choral symphonies that goes back to Beethoven's Ninth. Nor was Stravinsky the first to have used liturgical texts in a choral symphony. Mahler's Eighth Symphony opens with the Veni Creator Spiritus, Come Holy Ghost Creator Come, but juxtaposes it with the setting of the closing scene from Goethe's Faust. Stravinsky takes an utterly different approach. This is no choral symphony in this traditional sense. In a letter that he wrote to a friend a few months before the premiere, Stravinsky stated that he was not inserting psalms into a symphony, but symphonizing the singing of psalms. Unlike Beethoven's choral symphony, the singers are not playing second fiddle to the orchestra. 
unlike Mahler's eighth, the liturgical takes priority over the symphonic, literary, and operatic. Each of the three movements is exactly what Stravinsky said. Symphonized psalmody. Stravinsky also explained its status as a symphony. The juxtaposition of the three psalms is not fortuitous, he said. The prayer of the sinner for divine pity in the prelude, the recognition of the grace received in the double fugue, and the hymn of praise and glory are the basis of an evolutionary plan. The music which embodies these texts follows its development according to its symphonic law. The order of the three movements presupposes a periodic sense scheme and in this sense realises a symphony. For a periodic scheme is what distinguished a symphony from a collection of pieces with no scheme but one of succession, as in a suite. End of the quotation. The orchestration of the Symphony of Psalms is highly unusual. There are no violins, violas or clarinets. This levels the ground between orchestra and choir. It also makes for a darker, starker orchestral sound. This may be meant to evoke the ancient and medieval world in which the church's liturgical chant is rooted. Though the work was written during Stravinsky's neoclassical phrase, it is clearly evoking the Baroque and at some points even medieval music. The influence of the Baroque is evident above all in the second movement's double fugue. Many have noted that there are passages in the Dorian scale and Phrygian mode at the beginning of the first movement. These scales are typical of Gregorian chant. While Stravinsky declared that this was unintentional, he did not rule out that he may have included them unconsciously. The work's evocation of liturgical traditions is heightened by its use of Latin texts, though Stravinsky started off composing in Old Slavonic. There are many excellent recordings of Stravinsky's Symphony of Psalms, including those of the composer himself, Leonard Bernstein, or more recently Sir Simon Rattle. Nigel Short's recording with Tenebre and the BBC Symphony Orchestra is also interesting. It puts the choir and the text forward. Moreover, Tenebre is seeing the text more like a cathedral choir than an orchestral or operatic one. However, the orchestral playing is not as brilliant as it should be in a work where the instrumental forces are just as important as the vocal one. Philippe Hedeweger's recording, on the other hand, strikes the right balance between brilliant orchestral playing and meditative choral singing of the psalms. It also pairs the work intelligently with some of Stravinsky's other sacred music, and it is the recording that I've addressed. Hopefully, listening to these five works will lead us to express our contrition in prayer, implore God's mercy, and feel the consolation. Thank you for listening. To read or listen to the rest of this interview and gain full access to our archive, visit fivebooksforcatholics.com and become a premium subscriber. If you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the podcast and give it a top rating on the platform of your choice. That way more people can discover it. You can also support the podcast and help us produce more interviews like this one by making a one-off donation via the link given in the show notes. As little as one dollar, one pound or one Europe can help and will be greatly appreciated. Thank you once again and God bless.